Well, we are concluding our series in the Gospel of Mark this evening, looking at the person and purpose of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at Mark 16, 1 to 8. Uh, last week, we looked at the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. Uh, we talked about the forsakenness of Jesus on the cross um, so that we who come to God in faith never have to be forsaken by him. We also talked about the, the temple curtain that was torn in two from top to bottom, uh, providing a way for us to enter into relationship, to enter into God's presence now uh, safely so that we can know his embrace. Um, and so where we left things last week, uh, Jesus is dead and buried in the tomb. Um, and that's where we come to our text this evening. So please turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. Or you can look on the screens or look on your phone. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord given for his glory and for our good. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise... They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would work uh, in us right now, that your word would be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would pierce our hearts this evening, that the hope of the resurrection would be the foundation of our realities, that it would be the foundation through which we live and approach life, relationships, work, family, struggles, and pain. Father, help us this evening. We need you. We praise you for your goodness, for your word. We praise you that the tomb really is empty, that Jesus really is alive. Help us to see that and know that this evening. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I remember the first time that I saw um, the Academy Award-winning film, No Country for Old Men. I'm not condoning it or endorsing it right now, but towards the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Um, the bad guy walks away. They cut to this scene where the sheriff who's been chasing him the whole movie is now retired, and he's sitting at the kitchen table talking with his wife. Um, they're at the breakfast table, and Sheriff Bell starts to share with his wife these two dreams he had the night before, and he finishes, he takes a breath, and then the movie's over. It just cuts to black. Um, it's so disorienting and frustrating and abrupt. I remember I threw my hands up in the movie theater and I was like, is that it? I think I yelled it that loud. Um, people were not happy about that. Um, I was like, what the heck is going on here? This was not a satisfying ending to this movie at all. But the Coen brothers who wrote the movie and directed it, um, I think they're, they're intentionally leaving us there, hanging us there, wanting more. 
they know that they ended it the way that they did on purpose because they want to drive you back into the story, uh, wondering what does it all mean? And that's exactly what it did for me. It drove me back in the story. I watched that movie a bunch of times. I read everything I could about it um, to see, you know, to make sense of the ending. Um, and that's kind of like what Mark does here with the end of his gospel. Um, the, the women see Jesus crucified. They see him buried. They go to bring spices. They see the, the, the empty tomb. And we finish with trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Cut to black. It seems pretty hopeless and dark and despairing. Um, but I don't think that's what Mark is intending for us to take away from it. Um, what I do know is that um, if, you, if you have your Bible, mine's highlighted right here, so I don't read more or less than I'm supposed to. Um, but here is where verse 8 ends, and then you have 9 to 20 afterwards. Um, what we do know is that 9 to 20 are not in the original manuscripts from Mark. They were added centuries later, um, and so that's why we're not preaching on them tonight. Um, but the reason that they're added, um, I think, is, is the same reason that we get frustrated when movies don't end the way that we want them to. When this ending of the story doesn't end the way that we want it to, it's because we want a satisfying ending. We want things to wrap up sweetly and perfectly for us. We want them to finish well. And Mark's ending, his point of it, is to drive us into the story to cause us to go back and to dig through who is this Jesus that we've encountered this whole time. The reason he ends the way he does is because he wants us to finish the story for ourselves. He wants us to, to think about, okay, how am I responding to the resurrection? Mark's original hearers, they knew that the, the story didn't end in sadness. They were in church. They were hearing the letter. Um, Jesus really did rise. The women didn't stay silent forever. Matthew's gospel, he, he tells us that, that they go out and they joyfully tell. So this isn't the end of the story, but they go out and they tell, Jesus really did come back. Jesus really did meet his friends in Galilee. It really did change their lives and hearts. It really did change the world around them because the risen Christ is alive. And so the question for us is, how are we going to respond to the risen Christ? How are we going to respond to this news? Is it going to scare us or frighten us, or does it free us? Does it strengthen us and empower us to follow the risen Jesus? So tonight, um, I know last week was really long. I'm a little sorry for it. Um, it was really fun, but I, I know that it was long, and I, I apologize a little bit for that. Um, Tonight's going to be a lot shorter, I promise. Um, we're going to look at the resurrection, and we're going to look at two basic things. We're going to look, one, that Jesus' resurrection was unexpected, and then we're going to look at the life-changing message from the gospel um, herald, from this angel that comes, that changes everything. So first, um, Jesus' resurrection was unexpected. Uh, last week, we saw the centurion who's familiar with death. It's his job to, to execute people, and so he knows when people are dead. Confirms not just to himself that Jesus is dead, but he actually goes to Pilate, the governor of the area, and he tells him that Jesus is actually dead. And then we saw Joseph of Arimathea take down Jesus' body and buries him in his family's tomb. And then we see Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, and Salome, 
um, are, are there. Salome is actually not there when witnessing where the place where the place where Jesus was buried. But that brings us to our text this evening. We see Mary Magdalene again. We see Mary, the mother of Joseph, again, and they have Salome with them. And they've gone out and they've bought expensive spices to anoint Jesus' body. They know Jesus is dead. They saw him die. They saw where he was buried. They think death won with their friend here. And they're going to the graveyard to meet death and to meet grief. The disciples are nowhere to be found in this story. They're still absent. We haven't heard from them since they fled uh, when Jesus was arrested. We haven't heard from them since Peter denies Jesus three times on the night that he's arrested. No one was expecting Jesus to be alive, even though Jesus had predicted it three times in Mark's gospel, which means that if Mark wrote it down three times, it was probably happening all the time because Mark is so economical with his words. But Jesus predicted three times for us that he would die and that he would rise again on the third day. What these women, what the disciples had just seen in Jesus' gruesome death, it was louder and it was more real to them than the words that he spoke to them and the promises that he made while he was alive. They wouldn't have invested their money in death in these very expensive spices if they were expecting Jesus to be alive. If Jesus was really alive, they wouldn't need him at all. But they bought them anyway, and they went to the tomb very early after sunrise on the first day of the week, Mark says. And as they walk, they remembered, oh yeah, we bought the spices, but who's going to roll this, to- this stone from this tomb away? It's too heavy. They were con- so concerned with getting the spices that they actually forgot about the huge obstacle in their way that was going to prevent them from doing the very thing that they came to do. I wonder, you know, maybe if they thought, you know, if those stinking disciples would have showed up here with us, maybe we could have a chance at rolling this tomb away, but these deserving, cowardly disciples aren't here. They're not expecting the tomb to be empty. No one was thinking, you know, hey, they're not sitting around the table going, hey, Jesus said, you know, he was going to die, and then he said on the third day he was going to raise again. Maybe we go check out the tomb. Like, what can it hurt? No one is doing that. No one is finding that. They're expecting Jesus to be dead and to to stay dead. And then verse 4 says, But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And what do they do? They go in. They walk into the, the empty tomb. They don't know that it's empty yet. Imagine their initial relief and then the immediate unsettling fear. They're like, oh, great, we don't have to roll the tomb away. Oh, no. Why is Jesus' tomb open? Who took him? Maybe he's gone. But we don't, we don't know what they're thinking. As they walk into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they're alarmed. Jesus isn't there. Maybe somebody stole him. Jesus isn't there, but this young man is. Now, we know that the way Mark portrays him and what we know from other gospel accounts is this isn't just any ordinary young man. This is actually an angel here, and he, he's dressed in white. He produces fear and alarm like other angel encounters, and he speaks authoritatively with this message from Jesus himself. The women see the empty tomb. 
the angels sitting in the tomb, and they're alarmed because they were not expecting this. And I think that's the same thing that's true of all of us in here. When we encounter pain, when we encounter frustration or difficult circumstances, when we encounter death, we think, this is all there is. There's no hope here. We're so prone to forget Jesus' words and his promises that the, the women and the disciples, they didn't understand that Jesus said, after three days I will rise again. So they're not expecting it to be true. And when we are in the midst of our own difficulties, whether it's at home or at work or when our parents are aging and struggling, when our children are struggling and wandering, when we've received a terrible or fearful diagnosis, when our relationships are failing around us, when we feel like our friends have turned on us, when we are in deep loneliness and depression, when we feel lost and hopeless and forgotten and rejected, we too, we can struggle to let our circumstances, what's right in front of our faces, have the loudest voice in the room, have the loudest voice in our heads, and we forget the words and the promises of Jesus. We can allow the volume of our circumstances to be turned up so loud that we can't hear, that we maybe even tune out completely to the promises of God, to the reality of the resurrection. But what we need to remember in these moments is that God's promises are true. The resurrection is true, that because Jesus is risen, we really can have hope in the midst of pain and uncertainty and fear and rejection and even death. Because Jesus is risen, death isn't the end for us. We forget that Jesus says, I'm with you always. We forget that Paul says, God will complete the good work that he started in you. We forget that the Holy Spirit is with us if we are God's, if we are Christ by faith, and we're never alone. We forget that Jesus promises that just as he rose again, he will come again to make all things new. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He will be so close to us that he will wipe away our tears himself. We forget that Jesus is on the throne of heaven reigning and ruling even now and preparing a place for his people. We forget that if we're his, that, if, that we're forgiven, that we're made new, and that our God loves us to the same degree that he loves Jesus. That when he looks at you, he smiles and sings and rejoices. We forget that Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. We forget that when we will see Jesus, we will become like him. We too can struggle to let our immediate pain and our immediate circumstances in which we live lead us to think that this is just all there is. There's no hope for us. There's no redemption. I'm all alone. But the empty tomb should drive us to place our hope, to place our faith in Jesus. He really is alive. It really is true. Everything he said would happen has happened. He's making all things new. He's in the business of bringing dead things back to life. That's what he's best at. We can trust him even in the most difficult and painful and uncertain circumstances because the resurrection is true. Because he defeated death just as he promised, it gives us great hope. 
when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're doubting God's love for us, doubting his presence, we need to turn back to the promises that we find in our scripture. We need to turn back to the reality of the resurrection and let that be the foundation from which we live out of. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky theology. This isn't some every, behind every cloud there's a silver lining. This is real hope for real pain for real brokenness, for real death, for real disappointment, because Jesus really and physically, bodily rose from the dead, and the tomb isn't empty, or the tomb is empty, sorry. The tomb is empty. So we see this is totally unexpected, and it challenges everything that we think, and then let's look here at the life-changing message from the angel in verses 6 and 7. Um, We've all received life-changing news at some point. Um, If you haven't, you will. Um, Whether it's you're pregnant, or you got the job, or you're sick, or someone has passed away, or you're healed, or you're fired. We've all gotten life-changing news that changes everything for us. Um, Let's listen to the news that the angel gives these women who've come looking for Jesus' corpse. The angel sees their fear. He says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus, the angel is saying to, to the women, Jesus the Nazarene, the one you followed, the one you cared for, the one that you served and loved, the one who was crucified, the one you saw die, the one you saw buried in this tomb. He has risen. He is not here. Look, look at the place where they laid him. Jesus didn't faint. He wasn't resuscitated. He really died, and he really is alive. This wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. This was a physical, bodily resurrection. The same Jesus that these women knew and loved and followed died, and now he is alive. The angel saying to them, you will see him. You will touch him. You will talk to him. It's all true. This isn't just some cleverly concocted scheme. Um, His body wasn't stolen by the disciples. His body wasn't stolen by the Roman guards or the Jewish authorities. He really is alive. And if that's true, and it is, it changes everything. If Jesus is alive, it means he really is who he says he was. He's the son of God. It means that death is not the end for us anymore. It means we can have life and hope in him. It means everything he said is true, and it means everything he promised will come true one day. It means that our bodies that are broken and distorted by the fall, our minds that are broken and distorted by the fall, they will be renewed. We will be given new bodies. They will one day, when, when Jesus raises us from the dead, we will be given new bodies that are perfect, that are without blemish, and we will be like him when we see him, First John says. It means that whatever comes our way in this life is not all there is for us. It means that we can trust that Jesus is actually in control, that he's good, that he will one day return, and he will make everything sad untrue. He will right every wrong. He's not in the tomb. He is risen. And then the angel says, go, tell his disciples and Peter. 
He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to see them in Mark 14. Right after he told the disciples, you will all fall away, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The angel brings this word of grace to these women to give to the disciples, to give to these deserting, faithless, fearful disciples. Jesus doesn't and very well could say, tell these disciples, these faithless, cowardly, deserting, bumbling idiots that they better grovel when they see me. They better make it up to me. And you tell Peter that he better get his act together. That's not what this angel says. That's not what Jesus told this angel to say. No, Jesus extends grace to his friends. It shows that Jesus has forgiven his friends even before they've had a chance to repent. Their sins, their failures, it didn't disqualify them from Jesus' love and getting to be with him and getting to take part in his mission of bringing the gospel to the world. This is the promise that Jesus will appear to them and reinstate them in leadership in his gospel movement. But like we said, the angel doesn't just say, tell his disciples. He includes and Peter. Why does the angel do that? These are some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture. And Peter. Remember what Peter did. Peter was Jesus' best friend. Peter had just said, even if everyone else falls away, I will die with you. And that very night, looking his Savior in the eye, he says, I don't even know that man. Three times. Three times. Eventually, he does to a little girl that has no threat, no hold on him, this Peter denied Jesus. And so if the, the women show up and they just say, hey, the, the angel said, tell his disciples to come, Peter would say, y'all go ahead without me. I, that's, that's not for me. I'm not one of them anymore. I've, I've blown it too much. I, I've failed too much. Y'all go ahead without me. Jesus isn't talking about me here. But the angel Jesus, through the angel, gives this word of grace here. He's communicating to the disciples. He's communicating to Peter, I forgive you. I love you. You're mine. When I died, I paid for all of your sin on the cross. It's all paid for. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you will do. There's nothing you have done that will be able to separate you from me and my love and grace. Your sin Your failures, they can't keep me away from you. I won't let them. In fact, I've already fixed it for you. I've already paid for all of them. I've made complete satisfaction for all of your sin, Jesus is saying. Your account says paid in full. And in fact, it's not just brought to zero. It's brought to Jesus' account. You've gotten all that is true of him. So if that's true for Peter... It's true for us, too. It's true for you, too. Jesus has dealt with all of your sin, all of your failures, all of your mistrust, all of your lack of love and and obedience, um, all of your denials on the cross. He's dealt with it, and he's paid it in full, and his resurrection is proof that it is no longer what defines you. 
that Jesus is what defines you now. It is proof that, it is, that your sin is no longer able to keep you away from God and his love. The resurrection proves that forgiveness is possible, that you can actually access it by coming to faith in Jesus through repentance. Your sin is not more powerful than the cross. Now you say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It's not more powerful than the cross. Your sin is no match for the mercy of this risen king. And this news will change everything. How do we know that? Because we look at the other gospel accounts. The women didn't stay silent forever. They left, and they eventually went, and they told the disciples. And then when the disciples met the risen Jesus, they were changed forever. The disciples went from fearful deserters to bold martyrs for Jesus. They faced gruesome death. They faced exile and, and a lot of pain and suffering. And they never once for 40 years backed down from the truth of the resurrection because they met the risen Jesus. They preached. They lived boldly, confident of the resurrection because they actually saw him and touched him. They knew it was true. This wasn't some made-up story that people say, this is just made up to make you feel better about life, so you should go love people. That's not it. Um, the women here are the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. If you were making up a story like this and you wanted it to be considered trustworthy and true, you would never have women in the first century be your first eyewitnesses. The reason for that is, unfortunately, at that time, women were not credible witnesses. They couldn't even testify in court. They were thought to be hysteric, and, and you couldn't trust anything that they said. So if you were going to start a revolution and a movement, you would never have women be your first eyewitnesses unless it was true. The disciples, they wouldn't give up their lives for something they knew to be a hoax, They'd save their own lives if it came down to being able to produce the corpse of Jesus. But they received this life-changing news. And they met the risen Jesus in Galilee. And it changed the whole trajectory of their lives. It changed their hearts and their actions and everything about them. Because Jesus is alive, it means that whatever life can throw at you, whatever loss, whatever pain, whatever suffering, any loss, whether it's relational or financial, or physical, or a loss of your reputation, or even death itself, the resurrection means they cannot ultimately destroy you. Because you, if you are in Jesus, you've been united to the indestructible one, to the one that has promised to give you a new body when he raises you, to the one that promises that all really will be well one day. So, because the resurrection is true, it means we can live boldly. It means we can live confidently, trusting that we're secure in Jesus if we've come to him in faith. And so that we can let Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4 really encourage us and strengthen us tonight. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul met the risen Christ. 
And that's what gives him the confidence to be able to write that for us 2,000 years later. The resurrection really does change everything. Mark ends, as we close here, on a somber note. The women went out, fled. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark ends this way to invite you and I into this story. The question for us tonight is what will you do with this Jesus? What will you do with the one who walked on water, who fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, who raised a little girl from the dead, who was transfigured on the mount, who only did that which his father desired, who predicted his death and resurrection, who went to the cross willingly and obediently, who suffered rejection on the cross from his father, who paid for all of your sin on the cross, who died and was buried and rose again. What will you do with this Jesus? How will you respond? Jesus invites us tonight to see him through the eyes of faith through the testimony of scripture in front of us, to respond to his being alive. He rose again. He defeated death for you. He defeated your sin for you so that you might be free from it, so that it no longer defines you. And his grace and his mercy and his person actually is the thing that defines you so that you would be his, so that you would be part of his family, so that you would be a child of the living God who sent his son to rescue you so that now you might be able to follow boldly, living, loving, serving those around you because Jesus really is alive. It really is true. How do you respond to the empty tomb tonight? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you've given us your word, that Jesus really came out of the tomb, that the tomb really is empty. We thank you that the women didn't stay silent forever, um, but they went and they told your friends this message of hope, that you are alive and that you have come to give your grace and your mercy to them, to restore them, to forgive them, and to love them. Help us to know that love and that forgiveness and that grace tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.